The world is changing. Everything has shifted, including how we relate to each other. We hear, but we do not listen. We're together, but feel alone. We speak, but struggle to communicate. It doesn't have to be this way. We can all adjust the way we relate to one another. Well, I'd like to invite you all to hang out with me after the service, because there I will, uh, well, there I'll make fun of Kurt and call him names. So, <laughs> what do you do when your boss just like throws you under the bus right before you do a sermon? I don't know. Your, your opener gets derailed. Um, I have to forgive. I guess that's what we do here, huh? Um, let, let me say this before we jump in, because um, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's very important. Um, you need to know, for me, I'm not a natural rule follower. There's something in me, uh, shocking, I know. There's something in me where, like, speed limits are a great example. Um, here's the speed limit. I'm like, yeah. Again, I'm from Southern California. So speed limits are guidelines, they're suggestions, and we don't pay attention to them at all. Apparently though, did you know this in Washington? The speed limit is in fact the law. Like that's the rule. Shocking, I have no idea. So um, imagine what life was like for me, if you will, just for a moment. Imagine what life was like for me growing up in the church where my dad was, uh, he was on the elder board. My dad's also a cop and my mom worked at church part-time. See, somewhere along the lines, I learned this thing of like, well, you, you got to follow the rules. And again, the only rule that I think I follow fairly well is the 80-20 rule. If you're familiar with the 80-20 rule, um, 80% of the time I follow the rules. And you're thinking, well, that's really good. And I'm saying, if you knew the amount of mental exercise and work and prayer that was camped out in that 20% to try to get back over to the 80%, if you knew the amount of prayer and work and then support groups and everything that was involved for living in the 80% of following the rules, uh, you, you would be amazed. And some of you are shaking your head because we're like-minded people. That struggle is real. And so it's interesting for me growing up in a church because I, I learned later on in life, there's a difference between being a, a Christian, the religion of Christianity, and following Jesus. There's two differences, the religion of Christianity versus um, following Jesus Christ with, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, with everything in your being. And as a little guy growing up in the church, there's certain rules, right? Here's a list of rules that you do, and here's a list of rules that you don't do, right? Make sure you do these things. Don't ever, ever, ever do those things. And that was what I, I was raised in. Now, again, anytime I talk about my church growing up, I always want to clarify, I'm so grateful and thankful, and I love of that church. I'm not saying they taught me these things. I'm saying that's what I picked up. That's what I learned. So, you know, I, I'm to blame for a, a lot of that. And I imagine the story could be fairly similar for, for all of you, whether you're streaming online or you're in the room, we, we all have this tension. And in fact, this is the problem with religion as a whole. Let me, let me kind of give you an example. Um, all religions have certain rules that they have to follow, right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, don't harm. Would you agree that's a great rule? <laughs> that was really weak. Some of you are like, well, you know, it kind of depends. 
Uh, keep showing up week after week. We'll learn that harming people is a bad thing, okay? We don't want to do that. Don't harm people. Um, religions, for the most part, have this one as well. Don't lie, right? You want, you want to be honest. You want to be good. And in fact, we want you to think good thoughts. We don't want you to commit adultery. That is frowned upon. That's not a wise decision. Um, that's not a blessing in your life. Don't be doing that. And number five, we have to care for weaker people in society. Now, would you agree that almost all religions have at least those five things in them? They all have these rules that we're supposed to do. What happens if you don't do them? What happens if you break those rules? I'll give you an example. Here's kind of what we do. Here's, here's what it looks like. Um, religions will say, do these things. And that was the list of everything we're supposed to do. And then you and I, we don't do them. So what are we forced to do? Try harder. And inevitably we're in this cycle already. We haven't even got to number three, but do all these things is a long list. And you're like, good Lord, I can't do all these things. And we know that. So we're just going to try harder and we'll give you tips and tricks and steps and acronyms and all sorts of things to help you try harder. And at the end of the day, number three, you're busted. Life is hopeless, you're a horrible, horrible person, and whoever your God or your leader or your being or whatever it is, um, you are, uh, you're, you're busted. You're busted. And like I said, these are rules for religion. And growing up in a Christian church, I think I experienced most of my, um, well, most of my formative years growing up in the religion of Christianity, how to play the religious card in Christianity, the steps to take and the steps not to take. And as I got older and I was following Jesus and I actually read my Bible, I learned that, wait a minute, Jesus is radically different. Now, hear me correctly. Jesus has a list of rules. There's a lot of them. He boiled it down. He gave you like the two overarching ones, which is love people and love God. And by the way, he wants you to love God the way that he loves God. And he wants you to love people the way that he loves people, not the way that we deem most convenient. That's the big, big difference. So hear me, there's a rule when you're following Jesus and a lot of them, there's a lot of commands, there's a lot of teachings, there's a lot of things we should do. But here's kind of the cycle as it relates to Jesus. And I find this absolutely fascinating when we don't follow the rules or um, the relationship gets a little bit rocky. Check these out, these are incredible. Jesus says, I want you to live this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, body, soul, everything about you. Love Jesus with, or love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't do it, because we all break the rules in religion, right? Here's what's fascinating to me about Jesus. If you don't do it, I love you, I forgive you, and I'll teach you how. Wow. And, and I'm telling you, this is fascinating to me because I don't see this in the world. Jesus Christ says, I want you to love people Here's the standard. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I want you to love God and love others right here. Here's the standard. And we don't. And instead of Jesus going, wagging the finger and I love you. And I forgive you. And I know it's really hard because it's not our nature. So I'll teach you how. In other words, he's, he's very kind and patient with us when we break the rules. And I just find this to be fascinating because as we relate to one another in all of our relationships, we don't operate that way, do we? We like to, we agree that we should, but when push comes to shove, we're like, yeah, I don't really know. 
Because we all have a list of boundaries. We all have a list of ways that we want people to relate to us. We, if you will, have a list of rules that we want other people to follow. So if we're sitting down at the table, we're having lunch, we're having a cup of coffee, we're hanging out, we're just doing our thing. I'm gonna give you a list of rules of how I wanna be treated and vice versa. Now, hypothetically, this is a hypothetical conversation. We don't talk to one another this way, but we all have these rules. I'll explain. Um, I want you to be honest with me. Would you agree that's a good thing? Uh, We we need to be honest. We need to be trustworthy. And and we need to speak the truth to one another. That way we have a a level playing field that we can build our relationship on. Um, I want to laugh with you. I don't want you to steal from me. I don't want you to gossip about me. I want you to be there if I need you. I should say when I need you because there will come a point in time. Now you're on the other side of the table and we're having the conversation and I would bet that your list is fairly similar to mine. Why? Because we're human. We have a lot in common with one another. But here's what I know about people. When you set up the terms of the relationship and you've got your box and we're gonna live in this box and it's gonna be great. When someone breaks those rules, uh uh-oh, now we got a bit of a speed bump in the relationship, don't we? And if that rule keeps getting broken and I keep forgiving you, that speed bump inevitably moves from a speed bump into a roadblock. A boundary has been crossed. Now I'm a pastor, I'm a good Christian. I've got my, my professional Christian hat on. I get paid to do this. So I go, okay, I'm going to forgive you. But how many of you have ever said that? And inside you're like, I forgive you. And inside you're like, I want you to like drive into a ditch. <laughs> Too strong? <laughs> so good, you split the room. People are like, yeah, amen, hallelujah. And other people are like, oh. <laughs> whatever. You're just as messed up as I am. You're th- I know your thoughts. You don't have to say them. But have you ever sat there? Maybe it's not a ditch, maybe, you know, maybe a, a flat tire or, um, you know, on the way to work, when you get your latte, I hope the drive-through is 15 minutes long or like, I, whatever, right? There's scales to this whole thing. But we all have these thoughts and inevitably I can forgive you and I can forgive you again and I can forgive you a third time, but somewhere down the line, I'm gonna start having resentment because this boundary keeps getting crossed. And now we're gonna have some consequences. And and this isn't, listen, this isn't a new thing. We've all experienced this. This this isn't just a a 2022 thing. This is a first century thing. And so the big question is, how many times are we gonna forgive one another? Because in the church, can't you sometimes read the teachings of Jesus and you kind of feel like a doormat? Like you're just supposed to roll over, let people walk across you because, you know, turn the other cheek and love people and forgive people and all that. And you're like, man, that's exhausting. And then other times you want to stand up strong and you're like, no, here's the boundary. And you did this and da, 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 and boom, 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 boom. And we just light people up and tell them where to go and how to get there and what we should do. And, and you're like, man, how many times are we going to do this? Do we always need to forgive? Do we, is there ever like, ah, and how do you actually forgive without having that resentment in there? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because we can go through those motions. All the married people are like, <laughs> throwing elbows at each other. This is a big deal. We have to figure out how to do this. Now, here, there's actually a cycle. I love this. I think this is so helpful. There's a cycle or a progression of how we go when we're, we're trying to forgive, but we harbor that resentment inside. Here's the first thing we do. Revenge. When, so, when we have boundaries and someone crosses those boundaries, they do that enough and that wound gets so deep and so, um, man, it's just scarring. We start having these thoughts. This is the drive into a ditch thing. 
Hollywood, by the way, makes a killing off of this whole concept of revenge because, you know, you watch the movie in the first 10 minutes of the movie or whatever, something tragic happens to the main character, right? Uh, you have the bad guy or whatever does something and they're, they're deceived or they're hurt or someone in their family gets killed or whatever, right? You're like, whoa, this is intense. And then eight seasons later, like this, the, the, the hero, the hero of the story is making a list and just murdering everybody seeking revenge. And we're like, whoa, that's great. And then they spin off and do another one and another one and another one. These are our Hollywood action movies. And we all know the biblical truth of when you seek revenge and you kill someone, you immediately feel better inside. <laughs> that was dripping in sarcasm in case you were wondering. So revenge, here's another one that we do. Vindication. And I see this a lot in, in marriages that end in divorce. And we start winning people over to our side. And inevitably we start telling the story in such a way that someone goes, yeah, he is bad. That's horrible. We don't like that guy. And they're like, well, I can't believe she did that. And so we just, we feel better. We're winning people over to our cause. Here's another one that we do. We just bury it. Anyone do that? This is my favorite. How's everything going? Good. Really? Yep, everything's fine. It's fine. It's good. Life's good. Jesus is good. God's good. Today's good. Look at the weather. It's good. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's great. We're just hanging out. Everything's good. Look at all the things that we're doing because they're fine. They're good. Everything's great. It's wonderful. It's great. It's wonderful. And we develop nervous tics with our hands and we don't know what to do. And we're like, it's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. And because we've bottled that thing up, haven't we? And inevitably the pressure just grows and grows and grows. This is why in your marriage, if it's like mine, when you load the dishwasher and your spouse looks at you and goes, you didn't put the dishes in correctly. <laughs> that's why it's not about the dishes. There's some other stuff going on, isn't there? It's not about the dishes at all. That's what happens when we bury it. And then here's the last one. I'm really good at this one too. We dwell on it. We just play the script over and 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 over. I'm almost done. And over and over and over and over and over and over again in our minds. We do this constantly. And if you do it like I do, I rehearse it and there's usually a crowd. So here's my movie script. Someone has done me wrong. I confront this individual and we hash it out. And there's a little crowd. But as we go on the conversation, more people show up. And they're all of a sudden, they're like looking in and, and then their posture changes and they do one of these and then they choose my side. And they go, yeah, Steve, you're right. Yeah, I can't believe that he did that to you. You are right. Yeah, yeah, you are right. And then the crowd just builds and builds and builds and everyone's on my side. And this person feels about that big. That's the script I rehearse. What's yours? See, we all have one. We all run through the script and we've got four of those things. And I'm telling you, we fall into each and every one of those categories if we do not deal with resentment. And here's the big shift that has to occur. We have to shift relationally from resentment to forgiveness. We have to because resentment will eat us alive. It starts out small, but years and years and years, it will just chip away at your soul. We have to address this. We have to make the shift from resentment to forgiveness. Now, again, this isn't new. This has happened a lot. So I, uh, Jesus has something to say about this. In fact, one of his disciples is in this exact moment of what do I actually do? How do I make that shift? How many times am I supposed to forgive this person? And how do I do it? So if you got a Bible, go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, and we'll pick it up in verse 21. And as you're flipping there, quick sidebar, because I already feel some of the pushback on this. Um, so I want to, I want to, get rid of a couple myths. 
I wanna get rid of a couple myths. So as you're flipping to Matthew, just follow me for a second. There's this myth around when you talk about forgiveness, it means that you have to forgive and you have to forget. And I'm telling you that is a myth. Hear me out. Um, Kurt needs a couple bucks because he's gotta pay the light bill at his house. Sure, love you, man. Here's a couple bucks. And he goes, I'll pay you back, promise. Okay, next month he hits me up. I need a couple bucks, gotta pay the light bill. I promise I'll pay you back. What about the last one? Well, we had some stuff and we just had to, oh, all right, no worries, no worries. Third time, Steve, uh, I need a couple bucks, gotta pay the light bill. I promise I'm gonna pay you back. Yeah, no worries, man, it's fine, it's forgiven. Here, here you go. Somewhere around like the 10th or 12th time, my wife and kids are gonna look at me and go, Steve, quit acting like a fool. He's never gonna pay you back. They'll go, yeah, I, I forgive him because I love Jesus and I forgive him. And they go, yeah, you should forgive him, but you're throwing your money away because he's never going to go and pay you back. This is hypothetical just for some of you who are taking notes and like, seriously, is <laughs> hypothetical. You're like, no, we know the truth. No, you don't, it's hypothetical. Um, let me put it this way in your scriptures. Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. It's not good for you to return to your vomit. It's not good for you to live life like a fool. Forgive 100% all the time. Forget, not necessarily, not necessarily. Second one, um, you don't have to be best friends after you forgive. Sometimes we think we have to be best friends. You, you don't have to, unless you're married. Unless you're married, then you have to be best friends. Okay, super important, super important that you do that. If you're not married though, you don't have to be best friends. Why? Because relationships take trust and depending on the offense that has occurred, that trust could be destroyed. You don't have to be best friends because you might not ever be able to trust that person again. You do have to forgive them. You do have to forgive them. And I, I give you those two things so you can talk about it more in your small groups because some of you are like, oh yes. And others are like, no. And it's a good thing to explore and evaluate your relationships as you go along. So this forgiveness idea is massive. It is crucial. It is vitally important. The million dollar question is how in the world do we do this thing? So in your Bibles, Matthew 18, pick it up in verse 21. Again, Peter's talking to Jesus. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now the rabbis of the day taught that three times. You forgive three times, three strikes and you're out, buddy. That's it. And Peter, he's feeling really good because not only did he double it, he added one. He feels really, really good. And seven, like good Bible, godly number, you know? So he's feeling really, really good. Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some of your translations may say 70 times seven, which is 490. Here's his point. There's no number, infinite. Some of you are really detailed people. Could you imagine Jesus? Like you're sitting there going, you're, okay, uh, 488, 489, 490, 491. Ha, I don't have to forgive you. Resentment. And Jesus is like, no, it checks out. Like he did the math, it's fine. Like. No, it's limitless. How many times do you have to forgive this person? And Jesus, I imagine him just essentially saying, um, how many times would you like me to forgive you? Let's play that out. Let's do that. And then he switches, he goes into a story. He goes into a parable. And parables are simply, um, they're, they're simple stories to illustrate a spiritual truth. Don't get lost in all the details and, and not every word needs to be mined to the depths to unlock some secret truth. It's a simple story to illustrate a spiritual 
truth. So don't get lost in the weeds. Just take the story as a whole as it is presented, the words of Jesus. So here we go. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, if you're in a different gospel, two different phrases, same exact kingdom. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had been be sold to repay the debt. Listen, this king's no fool. He looks at the man and goes, you, you owe me all this stuff. There's no way you can pay this back. So let's just take him, his family, all of his possessions and we'll sell them. And at least we'll get something out of it because something's better than a big fat zero. So that's where we're at. There's no way this person can pay the master back. Verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. Here's our word. Canceled the debt and let him go. See, Jesus is our king and he ushers in a kingdom. And you want to know what it's like to live in this kingdom? It's like a servant who in no way can possibly repay the debt that needs to be paid. And this king, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, says... It's canceled. That, that's what it's like having a relationship with Jesus, not, not a religion of Christianity. A relationship with Jesus is like, there's no way I can do this. Take pity on me. Jesus, I'll make it up to you. I'll pay it back. And he goes, no, you can't. I'll cancel it for you. And then Jesus shifts the focus. Listen to this, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So you got big old bags of gold coins and then just a hundred silver ones. The discrepancy needs to be noted. Very, very big. And he grabbed, uh, yeah, and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. You catch that? Not only, hey, you owe me a couple bucks, let's make it happen. My man chokes out the servant and says, pay me back what you owe me. And was fascinating with a hundred silver coins, he could have. Given enough time, he could have. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him. We've heard this before. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And everyone around who's listening to this story is going, how are you going to pay the debt, the debt if you're in prison? Like that, you got to work. How does that even work? This is crazy. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? And this is crucial. The big idea right here just as I had on you. Wow. Verse 34, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This idea of forgiveness is a very big deal to Jesus. It is matters. To the point where I'm about to read a verse that I wish I could erase from the Bible, and I think you might feel the same way, but the truth is we can't. We can't erase it, which means we must do this. Listen to how Jesus finishes the parable. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
Listen, this idea of forgiveness is such a big deal that this isn't the only time in scripture he said it. There's a second time this comes up. The disciples are asking him, how do we pray? How do we pray? And Jesus goes and he wants to teach him how to pray. Matthew nine, you don't have to flip there. I'll put it up on the screen and then I'll give you the point number one because you're looking at your notes going, when are we gonna fill it out? We're getting there in one second. Matthew chapter six, verse nine, listen to this. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Big idea, take the reality of heaven, pray that it comes here to earth. Amazing, 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 amazing. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Say it with me, one, two, three. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Keep it going. This is how we pray, by the way, keep it going. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 14 and 15, buckle up. For if we, I'm sorry, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Number one in your notes, forgiveness is mandatory for any follower of Jesus, period. There's no loophole. There's no option. There's no, well, I don't feel like it. I can't stress this enough. Now, here, here's the reality of it. Um, some of us, we, we have been hurt and it's, um, it's small and we build up resentment. It's, it's the neighbor next door that plays their music too loud and it's not our favorite genre of music. You do that long enough and we're like, eh, we're grumpy. We resent them. It inconveniences me. That's a small thing. Some of us in the room, some of us online, um, it's no small thing. It's a large thing. Your life has been drastically altered because of the choices of someone else. Quite possibly someone that you love the most in this world. See, if, if he wouldn't have kept drinking, then this wouldn't have happened to our marriage. If she didn't work at that job and hang out with that guy and spend too much time with her boss, then that wouldn't have happened. See, if my dad was kinder, then, then this wouldn't have happened. I would have had a secure place growing up. See, I, I, I wanted to get promoted and I was working really hard and that was the trajectory of my life. But, but if, if the owner didn't sell the company, well, then I, my life would be going this way instead of looking for a job and starting all over again. See, this isn't just some Sunday school lesson that we go, yeah, when it's convenient, that's great. This matters deeply because Jesus knows something that, that we know too, we just tend to forget and not pay attention to. Resentment will destroy us from the inside. It will eat away at us. It shows up in our attitudes. It shows up in how we react and respond to one another. It shows up in how we view the world. And it definitely shows up in our relationship to God Almighty. Forgiveness is mandatory. It's not easy. It, depending on the, the wound and how deep that goes, it's not quick. This is a process. And I'm telling you, this process matters. Otherwise, we go through that cycle of the past four of revenge, vindication, and we bury it and we just dwell on it. And that's not helpful at all. It doesn't do anything. I put it this way in your notes, number two, forgiven people, forgive people. Why? Because we've been forgiven. And I, I just, I, 
you got to picture yourself in, in the stories. And it's like, Peter, how many times do you want me to forgive you? It's like, there's no number. And he's like, exactly. This is how you love other people the way that I love other people. By the way, this is how I love you, Peter. You are forgiven, so you must forgive. Because it will rot our souls from the inside and destroy our relationships. And it won't happen overnight, but I'm telling you, those of you who have resentment and you've experienced this, give it a couple of years and you know exactly, exactly where that comes from. Real quick, do you know where I see this the most? I I did youth ministry for 10 years and um, I see this in teenagers. I don't know what home is is like, but I watch teenagers show up to youth group and go about their business. And you can always tell what's going on at home when the teenager shows up at at youth group. (laughs) Parents are already worried like, oh no, kid's never going to youth group again. (laughs) That's not the point. Listen, I see this in teenagers because uh, maybe something happens in the home and, and mom and dad know best, but the teenager's like, no, no, you don't. Actually, um, the world has changed. What it was like when you were a teenager is radically different. You don't know, you haven't lived this. This is my life and I'll show mom, I'll show dad. The rules don't work. It doesn't fit. I know best. And so you have this, this tension in the family. And so you have to follow the rules because you know they buy you food and clothes and you have to, and you wanna sleep indoors where it's not rainy, right? So you play along, but what, what are you doing? You're harboring bitterness, you have resentment. And that goes on for years and years and years. And then, and then every once in a while, the other place I, I see this is I, I get to do premarital counseling or counseling marriages periodically. And it's, it's such a joy, but here's what I see. That stuff that is unresolved as, as teenagers, you know what happens? Two dysfunctional people end up getting married and they bring all that stuff into that marriage. And they've got all this hurt and wound from their family or from friends growing up. And then they bring it into a marriage and they think the other person's gonna be perfect because they found their one and come to find out you have to deal with this baggage and these issues and this resentment. And then you get married and something goes wrong in the marriage. And then you have to deal with that baggage with that resentment and that hurt. And the cycle just continues. And we don't just stop there. We just keep going, right? People in their 40s, their 50s and 60s and 70s, retired grandparents. Do you know where I see this? Do you know where I see this? It's family members having to tiptoe around grandma and grandpa because we don't want to upset them. And grandma and grandpa, when they were teenagers and when they were newly married, when they looked at their lives, like grandpa didn't want to be the like, get off my lot. Like he didn't want to be that guy. But years and years of resentment will build up. And so grandkids, you gotta behave and fall in line and do a certain thing and tiptoe around grandpa and not upset him. And you gotta do things a certain way because grandma's real particular and they don't want, this, this is all resentment. This is all bitterness. And it shows up so early in life. This, this is why this matters. This is why we must forgive one another. We have to learn how to do this. And some of you are shaking your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is a big Big deal. I'll I'll say this and we'll do point number three. Um, Some of you, some of you have been hurt deeply and it is not your fault. And someone took advantage of you, of an opportunity and somebody hurts you. Some of you in this room watching online, you've been abused. Some people you have been lied to your whole entire life. You married someone and you thought it was this way. In reality, it was like this and you had no idea you were blindsided by it. Some of you have significant wounds that you experienced as a young person growing up in your home and you carry those with you. And I'm telling you that there's a God who loves you so much 
that wants to teach you how to do this process well because it is life-giving. Jesus does not want you to carry this burden by yourself. He says, give it to me. This king who ushers in this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, says, come to me, all you who are tired and weary and carry heavy burdens, come to me, give it to me because I will give you rest for your soul. You have no business carrying around that burden of unforgiveness, none. Give it to Jesus. And here's what I know about all of us. We all walk into this place. We all click that button online to stream this service and we are all carrying burdens, each and every one of us. And Jesus goes, give it to me. Give it to me. I can carry it. You have no business doing it. Stop it. And I know it's not as simple as just simply snapping your fingers or waking up in the morning going, all is well. This is a process. But Jesus is going, come to me. I will give you rest. I will carry this for you. I will teach you how to walk in freedom. And this right here, this resentment, this is not freedom. This is a weight that is crushing you. And the reality and the consequences of this are severe. This is why, this is why, point number three is my favorite. This is why, this is huge. Number three, when we forgive what the world deems unforgivable, we become most like Christ. You wanna talk about changing the world. This is how we do this. When we forgive people that have wronged us, I'm talking deeply wronged us. When we forgive people and that resentment is gone and we're able to walk in that freedom, people notice, don't they? Because they know the story. They've seen the, the past. They know the track record. They've heard the details. They know what's going on. And when they see you and I acting a different way, they are blown away. They go, there must be a God. Yeah, this God is Jesus and he loves you and he forgives you and he's gonna teach you how to live life here on earth without resentment. This, this is powerful. This changes everything because Jesus forgave me. Therefore, I am able to forgive someone else. Now, here's how I wanna wrap up. Uh, we're gonna bring the band up and we're gonna take communion in a second. So, wouldn't it be so tempting just to play a song and take the juice and the bread and then just go about our day? It really would if we could just go on autopilot. But here's the reality of the situation. Jesus has predestined this moment. Here we are, we have an opportunity where we can take a step. And listen, I'm no fool. I know forgiveness is a process, absolutely. And I do know this, that Jesus is with us every step of that process. So here's what I want us to do before we take communion. There's a friend on staff, his name is Larry. And Larry was telling me, um, it's, it's the season of uh, Rosh Hashanah. And it's an idea of, of reflecting and repentance. It's a season of this. And Larry was telling me, he said, the sages, the rabbis of the day, they would give, give a teaching. And the whole idea of repentance is that you would, you're going one way and you would go the other way. You would repent, you would turn direction. So you'd examine your thinking as you think this way, you would repent and you would start thinking a new way. And he said, he said what, what the rabbis and the sages would instruct us to do is to grab a rock. And on one side of the rock, you would write the person's name who had offended you. On the other side of the rock, you would write what the actual offense was. And the idea of repentance, of changing your thinking and the idea of moving from resentment to forgiveness is a change of thinking, isn't it? 
He would say, in order to do that, you would have to write these things down on the rock, and then you need to go to, to Birch Bay, to Bellingham Bay, you need to go to uh, Nooksack River, you need to take your rock, and you need to chuck that baby as far as humanly possible, signifying that you have forgiven this, the event and the person. And the idea then is you cannot go and bring it back up. It is done. And if you wanna go and bring it back up, it'd be like you putting on your trunks, Jump in and burr, that water's cold. You have to jump in. You got to swim down in Birch Bay and you got to sift through all the thousands upon thousands of other rocks and find your rock and bring it back up and then go about your business of carrying it again. Why on earth would we do that? And I just, I, I loved that picture and I wanted to share it with us. We have been forgiven of so many things from Jesus. And we're about to take communion. And this is the act of remembering that sin does in fact have a consequence. And Jesus bore the sin on his body. And because of his blood, we are fully and completely forgiven. So the idea is, as we approach the table here in just a minute, you'll see that there are buckets full of rocks. If you need a rock, I wanna encourage you, grab your rock, grab the communion elements. And then go back to your chair and I'll lead us in communion here in just a moment. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you have an opportunity here. Do not rush past this moment. You have an opportunity to do business with God and release it and give it to him and also release the offense from the person and the consequences. Don't rush through this moment. Allow the spirit to speak to you. I'm gonna pray and then you can come on up when you're ready, grab the elements and the rock if you wish. Father, there are people in this room that are carrying tremendous weights. They have been hurt so bad. And God, I pray that you, that they would know that you are with them and that you love them and that you are here to help us through this process. And the abundant life that you have for us does not include this resentment. Jesus, I wanna acknowledge the reality that you love us unconditionally and we have broken the rules so many times and you forgive us and your work on the cross is proof of that. So Father, I pray for all of us as we approach the table, as we grab the elements and take a rock if needed, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you comfort those who need to be comforted? Would you give guidance to those of us who need just some guidance in how to navigate this whole process of forgiveness? But Father, I pray that today your people would take the first step in this whole process of forgiving people just like you, Jesus, have forgiven us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. When you're ready, you can stand on up, make your way to the tables and grab a rock or grab some of the communion.